This is an Area Code podcast. Hi, I'm Amy Simmons. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. two-part episode on disorganized and fearful attachment. Today, we're going to talk about what that looks like in childhood and in relationships. Next episode, we will be talking about what that looks like in relationship to God. Wanted to give you a rundown of what the next few months will look like for this podcast. I'm going to be interviewing a couple of people upcoming, which I'm very excited about. And also, I'm preparing for a specific season about anxious attachment and what that looks like in spirituality, and how do we tell the difference between anxious attachment in spirituality and religious OCD, what's general anxiety, and also what are ways that we can work towards healing both individually and also in terms of our communities. So I'm excited about that. If you have any thoughts or questions about uh, anxious attachment to God, generalized anxiety, and how that shows up in religion and spirituality, where's the line between religious OCD and just being really anxious? Please send me those questions. I'm excited to dig into this topic going forward and open up this conversation with an attachment lens while recognizing that there are uh, these different psychological aspects to it. So I'm very excited about that coming up this spring. We are about to dig into this conversation between Amy and I about disorganized attachment. And one thing that you'll hear us talk about is attachment trauma, shame, what happens when we are abused or neglected as children. By the way, I wanted to put a trigger warning in here around sexual abuse that's going to be discussed in today's episode. But on the topic of disorganized attachment and attachment trauma, on my other podcast, The Prophetic Imagination Station with my wife, this spring we are launching a series called Shame Core Records, where I'm using the lyrical themes of Christian hardcore music as an entry point to talk about shame and spirituality. And so if these couple of episodes really strike you more questions about attachment trauma and shame, or if you just want to learn more about how shame and attachment show up in evangelical spirituality, I would definitely recommend that you go over to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast, which is in the show notes, and subscribe over there, and we will be launching that in March. All right, without further ado, let's jump into talking about disorganized attachment. All right. So disorganized attachment. We've actually talked a little bit about this topic before, but it just got a little bit of uh, attention and deserves a lot of attention, I think. It does deserve a lot of attention. It is the least easy to categorize, for me at least, um, because I think it's easy to, it's disorganized, um, (laughs) therefore it's easy (laughs) um, to either mix up with, like if you look at it Right. Isn't the big thing. You correct me if I'm wrong here, because a lot of people don't talk about disorganized attachment almost at all. Like a lot of the literature that you read on attachment, like the simple, like kind of like quick hand stuff just doesn't even talk about Mm -hmm. disorganized attachment. Um, 
And it's also called fearful attachment, right? Is that my correct on that? That's yes. another synonym uh-huh, yeah. for So it. disorganized for children and then fearful at f- when you're an adult. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think often happens with disorganized attachment or people who have disorganized attachment is that if you look at your experience in a moment, <laughs> maybe you would be like, oh, I'm an anxious attached person. Or you look at it at a different moment, you're like, I'm an avoidant attached person. Um, so disorganized attachment and identifying it is a lot more about looking at a pattern over time which is how we should be looking at our attachment in general. Yeah, definitely. And actually, like in some sense, disorganized and fearful mean two different things. Mm. So they're looking at children and how did they get connection from their parents? And for uh, they were looking and finding these different patterns that made sense. So you have anxious ambivalent and then you have anxious avoidant. And they these were two ways of maintaining connection with mom. So anxious, ambivalent would be really clingy, right? I can stay close to mom. Anxious, avoidant would be like, I'm going to stay kind of far from mom, but I'm going to keep an eye because um, if I get too close and I get pushed away mm-hmm. or or that sort of thing, you know. Um, and so what they found is there are all these kids that it just didn't make sense. Uh, they couldn't figure out the pattern. So they decided to call these kids disorganized um, because there was no way that they organized towards connection mm. and it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And some of the question is like, is it conflicting drives? So is it part of them wants to get close to their parent because that's what attachment drives us to do? And then part of them is scared of their parent. Uh, so then they're running away and then they're kind of like just they're going in circles. But then other theories is sort of like, well, maybe this makes sense for them in in their messed up dysfunctional family system, whatever they're doing here in this like experiment zone, it doesn't fit our typical models, but it makes sense for their day to day life. So what did they find when they looked into that more? Because that is so sort of talking about the idea of a pattern over time versus like a a blip, right? An experiment, particularly the experiments around attachment are realistically, they're a blip, right? They're like, what does one kid do in one hour in one experiment, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they found um, typically, uh, (laughs) that's a good question. (laughs) I feel like I've read a lot and haven't. This is this is like the hardest attachment style. They found like dissociation, which is, you know, kids just like totally checking out. Um, they found kids going in circles. Um, so this sense of like getting close and then going away, getting close and going away. And then also like kids that are like one minute are just like calm and then the next minute just like through the roof, uh, you know, really upset. Um Whereas like with anxious attachment, the kids were already pretty upset. So that's what it looks like with children is like these like behaviors that don't really make sense. And then with adults, um, it tends to be a push and pull. So it tends to be um, like, I really want to get close, but I'm also afraid of getting close. And that can look uh, really excuse me, really exaggerated or it can look really um, low key actually. So that's kind of an overview of, of what that looks like. And I think probably like talking about fearful attachment in adults is going to be like the most interesting to us. Yeah. And since a lot of people listening to this don't necessarily observe, you know, I mean, you observe kids, but observe kids, but um, in all likelihood, None of you are observing um, 
highly traumatized kids on a regular basis, which I think is a lot of times where disorganized attachment comes in, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When we talk about, because um, obviously, like, I remember a thing. Talk about my own trauma for a second. No, um, I mean, sort of. But I remember a thing that my mom always said to me as a kid uh, was like, well, every family's messed up in its own way. <laughs> And I think that's really stuck with me in both some really positive and some really negative ways. Um, Because partially that was like totally a problematic narrative that she was giving me that was telling me that things that were happening in our own family were totally normal because everybody's kind of messed up, right? Um, But at the same time, like that's also true, right? And we all kind of know that that's true. Like, you you know, you Mm -hmm. can use the example of like you start uh, dating someone and you meet their family and you're like, your family seems so normal. And then like the, the more holidays I spend with them, the less normal they feel. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that is or the <laughs> other way where you start dating someone and you're like, wait a minute, like your dad doesn't just like choose what everybody's orders are at a restaurant. <laughs> Crispin, is that a personal example? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's an interesting Specific. thing that happens where you get married mm. before your uh, wife has really spent more than like two hours at a time with your parents. Mm, that's my dream. I, being, a, <laughs> being a missionary kid, we got married, didn't really like my parents were overseas during our engagement. Basically, like uh, Danielle met my mom right before we got married. Uh, but the following summer, we ended up spending spending like six weeks in a small apartment in China with my family visiting them, um, which was something, you know, that was, yeah. I mean, you know, you think about like in, in any situation, right. There's that family culture clash and it was a clash. Sorry. Totally got off on a tangent. That is intriguing. Yeah. So, so there's that, right. There's the, the reality of like, yeah, every family's got its idiosyncrasies, right? But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about disorganized attachment, right? We're not talking about, like, your family's a little quirky, right? We're talking about, like, unique Mm -hmm. levels and intensities of trauma that are happening in a family that cause a small child, right? We have to always have to remember that these experiences were happening with very small children um, to Mm -hmm. already have developed a coping skill, a survival skill, right? To manage their family environment that doesn't even fit with the patterns of kids who have unhealthy home environments, right? Um, so I always think about, obviously, this is an extreme example, but when we it comes to disorganized attachment, a, a lot of what we wind up talking about is extreme, right? Um, I think, mm-hmm. it, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but yeah, a lot yeah, of totally, times... Yeah, because this is like, I mean, you can talk on ter- in terms of a spectrum and probably a lot of people on this will be listening to this and be like, oh, yeah, some of this like resonates, yeah. but... Generally, estimates are like 5% of the population has disorganized attachment. Yeah. And so a lot of times who we're talking about when we wind up talking about disorganized attachment are people with um, consistent and intense childhood trauma, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. with anxious attachment, you know, like that's something that could manifest from a traumatic home environment, but also could manifest from just sort of a generally, you know, run of the mill unhealthy home environment, unlike disorganized attachment, where it's like we talk about the the 70%, right, the C average of parenting. We're not talking about Mm a 65% in parenting when we talk about uh, disorganized attachment, right? We're talking about like really, really difficult, complicated environments. Um, and an example I always think about is, um, 
when I when we talked about talking about disorganized attachment, and this is me talking within my field, um, but I thought about um, children who survive sex trafficking, right? Um, and I always think about mm-hmm. examples of how those kids behave when they get adopted. Um, and there was an example one time, and this is ever so slightly graphic, but I won't be too too rough. Um, of a, a kid, like a seven-year-old little girl, right? It's like, oh, these people are adopting her. And she immediately sort of made like sexual advances towards the father because that's what she was taught to do. And then immediately started crying, right? Is there's this like mm-hmm. big, big push for um, what has been taught as attachment. And then this big withdrawal when that obviously was not mm-hmm. what a healthy adoptive parent was accepting and like big, like aggressive behaviors as a response, right? Like the, the story mm-hmm. of this kid is like making this advance, weeping and then getting violent right it's like just like this huge Mm -hmm. variety of behaviors in a really short period of time because you have this kid who's had this like really unpredictable wild and unique traumatic experience from a young age right not everyone with disorganized Mm -hmm. attachment has had something that intense happen but that's when we were going to talk about it i immediately thought about that example that i've heard of like yes right like and so people Mm -hmm. with disorganized attachment i think and I wonder if there's any data on this. I'm curious because we talk about like, like learn learning healthy attachment as we get older. If people with disorganized attachment are less likely to get that opportunity because their behavior and um, experiences are sort of less predictable and more complicated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it gets perpetuated because if I'm looking specifically for friendships and I'm a healthy person and I come across someone with disorganized attachment, like my red flags are going to go off. Like this person isn't a safe person. And therefore that person is going to have a harder time getting into relationship, healthy relationships with safe people. Which is so ultimately for many of us, what has wound up healing some of our attachment wounds. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think of, uh, well, one way that uh, disorganized attachment has been talked about is fear without solution. Um, I'm not sure who that is, but basically when we're uh, when we're afraid, uh, we go to our parents for uh, comfort and soothing and safety. So what happens when our parents are the cause of our fear? Cause mm-hmm. our parent is abusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what disorganized attachment is. Cause it's like, there is no way to fix this. So that's when dissociation happens. I'm just going to totally shut down yeah. because there is no safety. I'm going to like, my body is going to on some level go into freeze, right? Fight, flight or freeze. My body's going to freeze. Feels like I'm going to die because I can't actually get safe. Yeah. Whereas, um, If you go through something scary as a kid, it might be really scary. But if you have a parent there that can help comfort and soothe you, you can totally get through it. Or potentially, again, um, we talk about parents a lot. And that is where attachment comes from. But I think sometimes people manage to avoid the disorganized attachment style through having like other safe adults in their life as well. Right. Even though the parent Mm -hmm. may be the cause of the fear, there's a teacher, a school counselor, an aunt and uncle, right? Somebody, somebody that they're able to like take some level of reprieve in. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas with disorganized attachment rights, that, that consistent living in an environment where there is no, I, I, the, the truest definition of between a rock and a hard place, right? Like just there, there is no Mm -hmm. direction to go. That's going to provide that safety. And so then you end up in this place of, the thing that I want is also the thing I'm afraid of. So that's that like push and pull. 
And so like when I am going to someone for comfort, I'm also expecting or, you know, the thing about like abusive, uh, abusive parents where it's like I might get comfort, but I also might get hurt, you know, like depending on like whether, you know, what kind of mood mom or dad is in today. Just thinking about um, also in a in a different sort of dynamic when we talk about like childhood sexual abuse, right? Um, of kids who right, are living with their abuser, right? That's an important mm-hmm. dynamic here. Again, we're talking about disorganized attachment, right? Is that that, that the people that you would rely on would also be the danger? Um, because a lot of people's attachment gets messed up when they're kids because their abuser is someone who's not their immediate parent. Um, mm-hmm. um, but thinking about people, especially with sexual abuse, you tend to have not always, some people are just sort of, um, some people who choose to be abusive, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. are just sort of monstrous in general. But a lot of times there's this grooming and manipulation and gaslighting that's happening that creates like an intense amount of confusion. And also, when we get into pedophilia, right? Cause if we're talking about childhood sexual abuse in an adult person, right? We're talking about pedophilia most often and, and folks that are so deep in sort of their own stuff that what they're creating for said child, right? The child who's going to have this disorganized attachment is um, they're offering what they understand to be or have convinced themselves is love. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in a form that causes harm. And so the, you can think to yourself the confusion that that creates in that child because what's being communicated mm-hmm. is I love you and that's why I'm doing this thing that is that hurts, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that like kind of depth of confusion even in a moment, right? And so then you have people who grow up to be adults who their exact experience of what they've been conditioned to believe is love is inherently painful, right? Love is inherently painful. Mm-hmm. And taking that narrative forward yeah. into your other relationships and how um, insurmountable at times that might feel and how incongruent your experience is with what other people are telling you, right? Love heals, love's beautiful, love's safe, right? All of these things. And they're going, that's mm-hmm. not what I feel. Right. What I feel is what I've been told is, is that love is love is going to hurt me. And so I don't even want love, but also I do want love because I'm a human person. Right. And so so that right, conflict yeah. of drive. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, a lot of people that have gone. I mean, we could uh, I, I almost want to use like disorganized attachment and trauma synonymously. Mm-hmm. Not everyone with trauma has disorganized attachment. But if you think about like people that have gone through significant relational trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times people that are abusive have a radar for that. And so that like kind of getting at this idea of like you continually are abused. So every instance of someone uh, being kind to you, it turns out that they're actually using you or harming Mm -hmm. you. And it just makes it, then it makes it so hard because your attachment system, your biological system is saying, I want closeness. And then at the same time, your another part of your biological system is saying people hurt you and people are dangerous and you're better off alone. Yes. And another issue when we, when we talk about trauma that starts at a very young age. So when it's intertwined with attachment, when trauma and attachment are intertwined, so often we're talking about them starting at a very young age, right? Um, We're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, 
immediate family systems. Um, one of the issues that can also come up sort of off of that is, <laughs> yeah, kind of talking about the idea of like, well, love is always going to hurt, but also the, um, I'm a believer, and I'm curious what you believe about this, actually, Chris Ben. I am a believer that we are sort of, um, I do think we are, like, made in the image of God and that we have souls that, like, cry out and move towards uh, goodness and health and, like, God, right? Like, that move us towards the divine, right? We are we are a, a small patch of the fabric that is the divine and that we are, like, always drawn back into that, right? And I think that that's part of, for me, this is getting real woo-woo, but this is the person that I am. All of my most, like, sort of, like, hippy-dippy Christianity comes out on this podcast. Um, and I like that about it. <laughs> but that we're, like, we're, like, drawn out of ourselves into um, what God would have for us just naturally from birth, from like inception, from all of it. Abuse that starts from like early, early, early on, right, is going to confuse our instincts, right, is going to teach us, uh, we talk about this with trauma all the time, is that people stop trusting their instincts because their instincts don't match their reality so consistently, Right. My instinct is don't go to that person, but also my instinct is go to that person. And that's confusing. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And so, so the way that instincts get so jumbled so easily um, or I or talk about disassociation, there's just the physical response. Right. I go to this person because that's my instinct. Right. Is to like take refuge in the person who birthed me or who helped create me. Um, I go to them. I have a traumatic experience. I find myself disassociated, right? And then I'm like, I'm losing time or experience or emotion, whatever. Um, and then I like zone back in a little while. And it's just like all of this like depth of confusion that happens with trauma. Um, we talk about, you know, like we can talk about trauma from so many ways, but so often what I, what the empathetic part of me pulls towards is the depth of confusion that it causes. Um, because it tells you that what you want in your most human soul is incorrect because your experience is constantly rubbing up against it negatively, right? It's like sandpaper, the way that our experience and our desire harm each other in trauma. Um, mm -hmm. And or not disassociative, um, disorganized attachment feels like such a f sort of physical, um, tangible manifestation of that experience, right? Is mm -hmm. I, I want and what I want is bad. And so I'm either going to catch myself, right? I'm going to catch myself right as it happens, right? I'm going to go to you and then I'm going to be like, mm -hmm. get away from me. <laughs> or, mm -hmm. or another way that disorganized attachment manifests is, you know, I go to someone for comfort, they comfort me, and then I resent them for it. Or I run and run the other direction because this isn't what I've been conditioned to believe like love and care feel like. Right? I've mm -hmm. been conditioned to believe that love and care is something else entirely. Um, and that actually, I think, really brings me intensely towards the church discussion. Right? It's like, what are yeah. we... <laughs> it was funny. You just said that. And I was like, yeah, that is exactly where my brain went what as well. What are we conditioned to believe love is versus what do we in our, in our soul that is connected to the divine believe and understand love to be?
This is an Area Code podcast.